Thanks, Jack. Thank you, Tom. These five values that I hope increasingly permeate our world here at Hillcrest. And it is Palm Sunday. And, and so I, I don't know how you prepare for Holy Week, but for us, we did want to build towards Easter Sunday. And so like you heard Jack say, this Friday, um, a night of worship, prayer, solitude, reflection, um, and, and, and Jack is building something towards, there's no childcare, but fifth grade and older because of some clips from the passion. So that would be the caveat to whatever degree you believe that's appropriate for your kids. But an opportunity to celebrate this one life made new, but pause in anticipation. What makes Good Friday good? <laughs> May we believe though Jesus goes to the grave, he rises again. And so uh, on Maundy Thursday, we also are encouraging you, if you go to the Easter website, to grab dinner. Because sometimes when we do communion, how do we often do communion? little bit more reflective, a little bit more pensive, a little bit more just intimate. It would be strange to be sitting around a dinner table and everyone just paused and we'd had this little quiet time. We're hoping actually this Lord's Supper celebration taking place in your home with some other family and actually celebrating communion and reflecting on what God has done. And so the Thursday experience, we would encourage you, spend time with another family and celebrate God's work in anticipation of looking to Easter. And like Fred said, 8, 9.30, there will be kids ministry, and then at 11, we look forward to celebrating this one life that has been made new in a fun way. So uh, following Easter, there's a gentleman called Huntley Brown. He, uh, he traveled with the Graham Association for some of their crusades. He's a local guy in Illinois, and so we wanted to have him come and share and take over our service, both in message and in music, to, to worship with us the Sunday following Easter. So I hope you get to join us for that as well. So Peter has been moving in this direction of what, what it looks like to live out our life with Jesus in the midst of this skeptical, sometimes hostile world. And, and he's moving into this place about the good life. And so uh, I was reflecting this week on, so just what, is, just what is the good life? I mean, when you think of the good life, what, what, what goes through your mind? I mean, you think, you think of maybe, but possibly, the, the cabin and lake life. That that is the that is the idea that, that strikes up in your head when you think of the good life. What what starts going through your head, and you think of maybe hashtag Northwoods. We're headed up to the Northwoods this weekend, right? I'm not, but you might be in your head thinking, man, I would much rather be at the lake. That this mentality of if I work hard, I get to play hard. I get to do what I want when I want it. Uh, this this idea of financial independence. That, that, I, that I'm not answering to someone else and, and their, their demands on my life. What, what gets elicited in your head when you think of the good life? That this freedom from responsibility, uh, retirement, just kicking your feet up with, with some. And I was thinking about, see that water bottle? I don't know if anyone can see that water bottle. In my head, I thought about, what if I reach around for that water bottle and then in my head, I also thought, what if I just flip out of this hammock while I'm doing that? So I'm just going to leave it there. S some people, it's the aspiration 
uh, of, of how many Instagram followers or friends you might accumulate. This dream family with, with, with a wife or husband and kids. Your kids are just, they do everything that you could ask. They go above and beyond. That that's, that's the good life. That this dream college or job that, man, my kids have attained so much, they are headed to Bethel University on a full ride. That that would be the dream. Uh, An avoidance of pain. If If I just didn't have to deal with pain anymore, that would be the good life. Or having having all of our stuff together. Well, where does that idea come from? Where, where, do we, where do we get that idea of the good life from? And, and I can't help but think, it, it's, this, it's this mentality that's caught, not necessarily taught. As I look around culture, what, where, does, where do all these ideas get stimulated from? And, and it's because I have this lens that I'm viewing life through, and I'm inundated with all these opportunities that are pummeling me with what the good life is. And instead, I I hope what Peter is going to challenge us with this morning as he continues his presence of what does it look like for followers of Jesus to live in this watching world. He's got this kingdom lens that he wants us to put on. That that he's challenging us with these lens of how we ought to view life. And and so, so he's been pressing us with this idea. Beloved, live as sojourners and exiles with this kingdom lens on how we walk through our everyday circumstance. And today, he's going to press us with about nine characteristics. He's going to press us with about nine characteristics of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I'm going to read the text for us. He says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Finally, to all of you, He's been pressing us with these specific applications in different groups. Now he's saying, for all of us, those who desire to love life and see good days, what ought our lives be compromised or compiled with? What what characteristics or qualities would permeate our life? So here's where Peter's headed. Peter's going to outline for us today qualities of a disciple's character and actions needed to sustain the community, both as we relate internally as a body and as we respond to the hostility of an unbelieving society. What are the qualities that actually make up the good life? And so I hope you heard this. I don't know which of these nine qualities are going to land on you today. He's going to process through this unity of purpose, this sympathetic nature, these affectionate friendships, this unleashing of compassion, this humility of mind, this grudge-free response to those around us, mouths as fountains of life, a delight in purity, and this push 
for peace. Here's my encouragement. As, as, as we go through this, I believe God actually has one or two of these to land on you this morning in a profound way that Peter's going to challenge us with. And so in our ongoing journey of spiritual transformation, uh, I'm imagining one of these is going to land, and my hope is there's going to be a prayer of desperate dependence for one of these to get lived out a little bit more fully. So pray with me as we dive into what Peter has for us. God, you're so good. We proclaim that truth relentlessly. We want to believe it more fully. So as we hear from Peter closing out this section in his letter um, about, about the way we engage and submit and, and wrestle through other uh, relationships in our life, help one of these qualities, one of these traits, one of these, these characteristics of followers of you land on us in a real and fresh and powerful way this morning as we live to become more like you for the sake of those around you who have yet to see you. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we're just going to walk through these qualities. I hope one, I believe one or more are going to land on you in a real way. So he starts, unity of purpose. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. And I'm not going to press into this as much, but, but you look around and the Christian community is intended to be this unified community that is one. Jesus and John, John quotes Jesus saying, I pray that my followers are one. We're going to unpack this more this summer because this summer we're going to wrestle with what does it mean to, to say together we believe? Because unity is not uniformity, right? Unity does not mean we all are just these copycats and we look exactly alike and do everything exactly the same. But Jesus calls for his people to have unity as a demonstration of the power of his work within us. You look around, does it feel like the Christian community is unified? I mean, we, what other religion has so much fracturing taking place within it? And, and it fractures from denominations, and it fractures within denominations fighting against each other over issues, and there's this fracturing that even takes place within this local body where we start elevating things of less significance. Not that we're proclaiming uniformity, but Peter is challenging us, what does unity around essential ideas look like? Again, I'm not going to develop it too much because we're going to spend a summer in it. Just wait. Cannot wait for that. But unity of mind as a reflection where our personal preferences might be willing to be lowered for the sake of someone else. He continues, a sympathetic nature. Finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy. So I, I, I thought this was interesting. It was sympathy. That didn't always feel like a quality we love to elevate. What, what would it mean that I'm sympathetic? It's to suffer with. To actually suffer with someone. So, so within the context of a life group or a smaller setting, what might it look like to suffer with someone and something they might be going through? There was a quote from Henry Nouwen 
that, that struck me from one of his books he wrote. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand, a friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief or bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. I remember sitting in a life group. I was so dumbfounded. I, I didn't even know what to do when this happened. We're sitting in a group, and I love when someone begins to share what's going on in an authentic way in their life. And I remember sitting in this group and someone literally took their Bible. This person was pouring out their heart. I don't know what to do. This person literally took their Bible and slammed it on the coffee table and said, you just need to read this. And I went, How, what, 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 what just happened? What just happened? What would it look like to emanate this quality of sympathy to suffer with someone in the midst of their pain to actually enter in rather than just immediately provide the solutions? Because I got all the right solutions, right? I mean, don't you know how smart I am? Let me just mix a little bit of A and slap it on with a little B and cover it in C and, and out pops your solution. What might it look like to enter in with sympathy in those with whom you're in relationship with? Peter continues, finally, to all of you, there's this affectionate friendship. There's this friendship that actually permeates our lives. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and he says, brotherly love. That, that we begin to drop the waterline and, and have this, this care and love. I, the words that came to mind, this affectionate friendship. And just like we've heard Peter say, it's not just ideally within this intimate life group setting, but actually he's been pressing us with the greater context. Beloved, I urge you to live as sojourners and exiles. So I actually love Jen Schmidt to come up because along this idea of affectionate friendship, for the sake of living as a sojourner exile, what does it look like to be in the context of a life group, to be encouraged? Oh, yeah, come on up. Avoid the hammock. Yes. I'll just stay right about <laughs> There you go. Okay. And actually then see that permeate the way you live your life. So, so Jen, uh, why don't you introduce yourself for us? I'm Jen Schmidt. Uh, most of you know Fred, so I'm married to him. Uh, I'm his other half. I won't say which one of us is better. <laughs> and, and, and Go ahead. And so tell us, tell us a little about when you hear this affectionate friendship taking place within life group or these more intimate communities, what, what's that been like for you? Uh, Fred and I love life group. And um, I would say our current life group, um, the exciting things that we get to do to challenge each other is that's always fun. Um, it's a bunch of Christ, committed Christians coming together to just uh, encourage one another and help each other grow. But... Uh, I think of the friendships that I have with uh, the, the women that are in our life group right now. And um, a very particular moment in October, I was just really having a hard time. Uh, I'm a teacher. I love to be around people. I'm an extreme extrovert. 
And uh, so COVID was really cramping my style. And, and really, I was very down. And uh, a, this woman reached out to me and said, hey, Jen, how can we pray for you? And it was great because Fred and I were off. Fred was on sabbatical, so we had taken some time off. So the fact that she was tuned in, reached out, and said, how can I pray for you? And I said, oh, my goodness, Bonnie, you have no idea. You, <laughs> I, a lot. I am very discouraged. And, and then uh, another gal in the group um, said, let's have coffee. Let's, you know, and just kind of wrapping around me. And so that love that they had for me and that uh, just time of just struggling with just being down and discouraged. So, mm. so that was really cool. How, how then did that affectionate friendship actually catapult you into this life as a sojourner in exile in this life on mission in, in, the, in the vocation you find yourself in? So I work at Oregon High School. I love, uh, love my students. Hey, Jacob. <laughs> uh, and, my, uh, and my coworkers a lot. Um, and I, uh, but I have really, I really wanted to, to show that love. I, you know, getting, receiving love is, is great. And Christian to Christian, that's, that's encouraging. And then, and then to take that back out and just show the love of Christ to those around me. So I, I literally wrote it in my journal, uh, and it was one of my goals, just love my coworkers, show them the love of Christ this year, and, um, and look for those opportunities. And so um, it's been really cool. So I, I've, I've been praying for that, and it's been amazing. I've had just some really cool conversations. Uh, recently, I uh, went on a walk with somebody, and she said, Jen, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I, just, I, I just haven't felt like I've, I've been walk, let's have more conversations. And I, you know, she, it was just, she encouraged me to have more conversation with her because she realized that she wanted that. Mm. And then a couple other uh, gals that I work with are, are in a Bible study with me. And so I just feel like uh, that wouldn't have happened um, had I not, A, been super uh, receiving that love and that encouragement and then looking for that love and encouragement uh, that I could give. What, what would be a now what? For your life or for us? What's the now what? For, for you or for us? I wish I'd have brought it up here. I wish I'd have brought my uh, Pray Watch Step card up here because um, you wouldn't be able to read it from there, but I could show you that those people that I wrote on there are those conversations I've had. So, um, so that's been really cool. And so I think for me, it's um, one, being intentional of who I talk to, but also, um, like, I would encourage you guys, like, try it out. Just try writing some names down that you know you, you, you know, they're not too fearful for you to have a conversation with, writing some names down and really praying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for those conversations, but I'm going to step. When, it, when that conversation, that opportunity presents itself, I'm going to take a step. And, um, and it's amazing what it did for me because I just want, I want to talk more about it. I want to I talk to more people because I'm, I'm watching God's actions and knowing that it's not me, it's just me being faithful now and tuned in to what he all along had intended for me to do. Affectionate friendships that actually empowered and released you into, uh, into life on mission. Hey, thank yeah. you, Jen. Thank Appreciate you. it. <laughs> uh, these qualities. What, what's the good life? When we think of the good life, what, what are we inundated with? Usually not at the top of our list is a unity and purpose of the things that anchor our life, this sympathetic nature, affectionate friendships, 
And then this idea of unleashing compassion. Here's what Peter says. Peter says this, finally, all of you, all of you as exiles and sojourners, here is the good life. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let these characteristics permeate your life. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. And, and, and you saw maybe the language I used to, to describe tender heart, right? So about every six weeks, my girls get their hair done by Miss Salisa. Miss Salisa comes over and she does my girl's hair. And, and one of my girls has a tender head. And what that means is, as Miss Lisa's doing their hair, that there is, there's a little bit of pain involved. There, there, is, there, is, there is this tightness, and her, and her head is tender. What usually happens when that tenderness gets expressed? It's not like, oh, 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 that's, oh, oh. How do you think that tenderness usually gets expressed? There is deep awareness of the pain that's being experienced. Peter says, may one of the qualities that permeate your life in experiencing the good life, may it be tenderness. May we unleash compassion because of the tenderness we're experiencing. There is a greater and heightened awareness at the need that exists. There is this tenderness that permeates your life. So what might it look like to unleash compassion rooted in this growing quality of tenderness? Here's just a few that came to my mind as, as I think of what, what would it look like to unleash compassion rooted in being tender-hearted. Pray for those who are hurting due to an experiencing loss, financial hardship, illness, or isolation. You heard Tom say, one of our values around here is desperate and dependent prayer. Do we actually wake up? <laughs> Am I aware of the needs that exist all around me every single day and pray in an accordance with desperate dependence for God to move? Believing prayer is the work and God is actively at work. Well, what is touching your heart right now that you're just desperately crying out to with this deep tenderness? That we might also, let's see. Let's see. Tim. There's another one in there. There might be a few more in there. Write an encouraging note to someone you know who is struggling through this isolation. Rooted in this tenderness, you desire to unleash that compassion towards someone who you know might be wrestling. How might you express that in simply a note? Schedule a visit with someone who's feeling lonely in a way that feels most appropriate to you. That there's this deep hurt and pain. Your tenderness is, is just aching. In the same way, what might it look like to unleash compassion in a way of scheduling a, vi a visit? You heard Jen talk a little bit about how that expressed through uh, affectionate friendships. Offer a helping hand to a neighbor by asking to... You fill in the blank. That there's a tenderness in your heart growing and a desire to unleash compassion. You actually extend this hand to someone maybe in the context of your life group or to someone in your sphere of influence. Or meet your neighbor. Bring treats or flowers. Introduce yourself to your neighbors you haven't met yet and reconnect with those you have out of this expression and tenderness taking place within the context of a life group it also gets then expressed to those around you what might it look like for this tenderness to continue to grow in your heart 
or as a life group volunteer and invest together in our community, not just as an individual, but collectively praying through that tenderness being expressed in a real, tangible way. So here's the qualities, unity of purpose, sympathetic nature, affectionate friendships, unleashing compassion, and humility of mind. And you're going to see I use the same words as the text because these words struck me because I don't often hear humility of mind. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Humility often feels like this characteristic, right, that gets expressed in our lives, thinking of, our, of others better than ourselves. There's this, there's this not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less, right? This, this idea that, that I'm, I'm generating humility in my life, this humble mind, the way I view life actually begins to permeate my experience. And so Oswald Chambers, if you're all about devotional lives, I was encouraged, I've been encouraged by Oswald Chambers. If you're looking for something to just be encouraged by on a daily basis, Oswald Chambers, in one of his devotions, says this. We have a tendency to look for wonder in our experience, and when we mistake heroic actions for real heroes, it's one thing to go through a crisis grandly, yet quite another to go through every day glorifying God when there is no witness, no limelight, and no one paying even the remote attention to us. If we are not looking for halos, again, what's the good life? It's when I'm recognized. It's when I get attention. It's when I get accolades. It's when my Instagram followership reaches 10, 20, 30K. Isn't that the good life? Peter's putting a different idea of the humble mind. It's no limelight, no witness, no one even paying the remotest attention to us. If we are not looking for halos, we are at least wanting something that will make people say, what a wonderful man of prayer he is. What a great woman of devotion she is. If you're properly devoted to Jesus, you've reached a lofty height where no one would ever notice you personally. All that is noticed is the power of God coming through you all the time. And what we would say is, and one life at a time. Living with this characteristic of a humble mind Rather than being recognized for the good life of seeking accolades, there's this trait that permeates our life of humility of mind. But now he makes a turn. He's making a turn now to this non-retaliatory life. He moves from kind of the intimacy of the body, and now he focuses on some traits that are directly expressed to those we encounter in this watching world. And he's going to make an argument. So, so track his argument. Tell me if this lands on you. Wrestle with this. Test this, right? Test this as we read the scripture. So here's the value, right? You guys know we do this? Tim, you know we do this? We just read the text, right? We just read the text and we're trying to follow his line of thinking. What, what, what's he trying to lead us into? And so test this, but here's, here's, here's what I see. He's, he's trying to give us a reason, a motivation for why we ought to live this way, right? He's saying, this is the good life. And he's trying to inspire us with how we ought to live because it feels so counterintuitive. And he gives two statements for why we ought to live this way, right? So finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for, for, right? For, for whoever desires to love life because you want to have a good life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because 
because you're playing for an audience of one, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And consequently, a warning, and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What would motivate me? What would compel me to live in a way that seems so counterintuitive to, to, the, to the watching world and what would appear to be the good life? For, he says, for who desires to love life and see good days. He says, this is the best, most joyful life to experience. And then he develops three ideas. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's this motivation that actually desires to have the eyes of God upon you. What would that look like? That you heard Tom say earlier, sometimes I look at my circumstances and I go, God, are you even aware of what's going on in my life? Because <laughs> it doesn't appear so. And yet, the call and the promise to live in this way that he's going to describe He's saying God is intimately involved in the details of your life and wouldn't let harm come to you ultimately. Instead, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. He knows your situation. He's present in your situation. He's present in that relationship or that challenge. The eyes of the Lord are present. God, are you even watching? Here's what, here's what he's calling us to, to live this way. He's saying God is present and his ears are attentive to your prayers. You heard Tom say in desperate dependence there were things that he was longing for that in retrospect he looks back and says there was actually something better for my life. God's ears are attentive to my prayers. And then this warning he challenges with the face of the Lord is present. The face of the Lord is present against those who are not living this way. There's this warning that Peter hits us with quoting Psalm 34. And so he's going to quote Psalm 34. We would ask why. Why are you quoting Psalm 34? If you care at all, it's a throwback to 1 Samuel 21, where David is running for his life from King Saul. So you can go back and read Psalm 34 if you want. Go back and read 1 Samuel 21. And David is running for his life and is acting like a crazy man, salivating. He's called a madman. And now Psalm 34 is David's, I think, plea of repentance saying, God, you are, you are present in my life. May I live that out a little bit more fully. Well, what, is, what, is, what does David know about living in a hostile world antagonistic to the gospel? Peter is picking up David's words and David was crying out, God, I know you're present in the midst of my need, in the midst of this guy trying to kill me. May I embody more of your spirit a little bit more fully. So that's why he's going to quote Psalm 34. So here we go. The qualities of those that follow Jesus in the midst of a skeptical and hostile world. Here's what Peter challenges us with. He says, may we have grudge-free responses. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You ready for these words? I don't know if I'm ready for these words. Because <laughs> these words strike in an opposite way of what the good life, as told by culture, 
would be. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So throughout the Gospels, throughout Jesus, Christianity offers an alternative in the way we ought to live. Here's what Jesus says in these very same veins of this idea. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? Eric, what? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Christianity offers this non-retaliatory, try and say that word, retaliatory, this non-retaliation towards those who would hurt you, but instead bless. So, So here's my attempt to define what it means to bless, to actually will someone's good, to will their joy and take steps to improve it. To bless someone who's hurting you and take steps to increase their joy. So what might that look like? How might we actually embody that in our world? Anyone ever been offended? Anyone ever been offended by someone? Can you think of a situation probably within the past, I don't know, two hours, maybe 30 minutes? What This week... You ever been offended? To those we interact with, when an offense occurs, what does Peter call us to do? He says, we refuse to get back or get even. My my tendency, when someone hurts me, my tendency, Dave, I'm like, I I start scheming and dreaming of how I could hurt them back even more. But but not, but not in an overt way, right? In a way that they might go, is David trying to be kind to me right now or is David trying to hurt me? I mean, doing it in such a subtle way that you've connived and you've schemed on how you can get back against someone in a way that might not actually be perceived as getting back. Is this too honest? You're like, man, our pastor is screwed up too. Yes, just another sinner on this journey, a beggar who has found hope in Jesus and wants to share it with the world. When an offense occurs, what do we do? What's our tendency? We just want to get back at them, to get even. Peter's saying, in your heart, we refuse to get back or get even when an offense occurs. What might we do then? Instead, we restrain ourselves from saying anything ugly or or vile in return. When an offense occurs, when I'm hurt... My tendency is to want to hurt back. Not only do we physically restrain from an action. Well, David, I I didn't actually do anything. I just spouted a bunch of hateful things right back. But I didn't actually do anything. What might it look like to actually restrain ourselves? (laughs) Brandon's Brandon's like, David, you're starting to get a little too close to me here. We restrain ourselves from saying anything ugly in return. And then actually, we return good and we bless. I've been so encouraged, and we're going to get to a few others here. 
Do not repay evil for evil. Because I'm going to, before we end, I've been so encouraged by our Hillcrest Church family and, and hearing stories about the way we have been actively blessing those around us in the midst of challenging circumstances. It's cool to hear some stories come back and, and, and see this actually lived out in real ways. To not back down, but actually to stand and return good in the midst of antagonistic attitudes. So, finally, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So press this, because this for me was a massive turn in my view of faith. There's this idea of what faith is, and we're going to fly through these last two, but, but I, I'm like, man, I had to squeeze this in, guys. I, I just had to squeeze this in. Denise, I just had to put this in here. Because what you could hear is, so for this too, you were called so that you would obtain a blessing. And it becomes this works-based faith. If I do this, I do it because I'm trying to earn something. Instead, here's the essence of faith. And my schizophrenic faith, I'll talk about this a little bit. It started with this idea that, well, I'm justified. I've come to faith in Jesus, and then I start doing stuff. And I skip over my heart. Did you hear all that, that heart language? The ugliness that might be in my heart that might get expressed? He's going to talk about it in a second. Faith is not just earning. Instead, it is this beautiful flow of my hope in Jesus leading to me wanting to bless others. Because of our hope in Jesus, it leads us to want to bless others. On one side of the schism is just, well, I know I'm saved and it has no impact on my life. And on the other extreme, it's this sense of, well, I need to bless because I need to somehow earn my standing before God Instead, what Peter is calling us to is this beautiful expression of because, because of this impact in our life, it leads us to bless others so that we inherit a blessing. Not earning this blessing, but actually this reflection of our faith, reflecting this view of what we've been called to. Man, that's probably way too many words. We're going to have to unpack that another Sunday. You guys are like, David, I have no idea what you're talking about. Another Sunday. Well, I just want to try to squeeze it in here. Because this is profound. This idea of our faith leading us to bless others, not to earn our standing before God. So instead, this overflow of faith, and he dials in, and our mouths are very, a very specific quality he addresses. He says this, right? Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this is to what you are called, that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Man, we, we recognize this, right? We know how quickly our words can just tear down. How quickly the wrong word could, could break someone. He's saying, as a reflection of your hope in Jesus, as an exile and sojourner, may your fountain, may your, may your mouths actually be fountains of life. May what you say begin to impact and care and support and uplift. In our conversations, in our desire to help people find their hope in Jesus, may our conversations be permeated with this increased mouth as a fountain of life.
Man, two more, two more, two more. Hang tight. Hey, we're almost there. The finish line is in sight. Delight in purity. Here's what he says. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And by seek purity, I think that has a broad scope in my mind. Turn away from evil and do good. The essence of the word repentance is a change in our thinking. It is a turn. There is a turn happening. Turn away from evil. There is a change in our thinking. There is more joy in Jesus than anything else in this, in this life. And he says, you want, you want the good life? As an exile and sojourner, we turn from evil and we do good. There's this change in our thinking of what truly satisfies. And then this push for peace. For whoever desires to love life, verse 10, and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking to eat. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So you see that turn language again and this active pursuit language. Turn and pursue, repent, change thinking, what satisfies the good life that appears to be offered or the good life that God promises. You want, to seek, you want to seek this joy in life and have good days. So anyone want to take a guess what the takeaway is? I don't know which of these characteristics land on you. In seeking peace, that doesn't mean acquiescing and, and, and wilting. I've been so encouraged by multiple people in our church family that are taking a stand for peace. Not compromising on this unity of mind, but taking a stand for peace, pursuing peace, and actually blessing in return. Which one of these for you is one that lands? And you can go when, we, when you click the sermon notes on the website, you can print this card out if you'd like. In our journey of ongoing spiritual transformation, Look over this list, choose one, and voice a prayer of desperate dependence to God, asking him for help in it. Do we want to see more affectionate friendships permeate our lives? Do we want to see this tenderness unleash compassion in our world a little bit more fully? Do we want to have a grudge-free response to those around us? Where in your life may God be pressing this as a reflection of your faith a little bit more fully this week. Pray with me. God, we seek the good life. Not the health, wealth, and prosperity life, but actually the good life in you. Finding our significance, our joy, our hope in you. And may these qualities emanate a little bit more fully from our lives as Peter challenged us. But God, may there be one that you're doing a work in our heart. That, that, that has been a challenge and a struggle for us. May you, may you break us a little bit more this week on that quality that demonstrates our hope and our life in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen.